Good morning. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, think for a second which scriptures Jesus would have used to explain uh, himself on, on the road to Emmaus. Of course, it's the Old Testament. Uh, there was no New Testament. It would be 15 years after the resurrection before the first book of the New Testament would be written. It says very clearly, Jesus interprets Moses and all the prophets. Um, a little bit later in Luke, it says Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, um, which is a standard phrase for what is then summarized in our, our gospel for today. The entire Old Testament, as it says, all the scriptures about himself. And I think we all know that some of the Old Testament scriptures were about Jesus. You know, some of the most famous passages, perhaps like Isaiah chapter 53, um, by his stripes we are healed. We know that some of the Old Testament prophesies Christ. But, but the claim here is all of the Old Testament, all the scriptures. I think that's the great truth of Luke 24, 27, is that all of the Old Testament scriptures indeed do speak of Jesus. The word of God written is all about the word of God incarnate. But I think most Christians today, this wasn't always so, but most Christians today um, don't read the Old Testament this way. I think we read it chiefly as, as history, and, and we may connect sort of some of the pieces as backstory to the life of Jesus. And certainly the Old Testament is those things. It is a history. But if we read it only as history, like the way we might read a, a history book on like American history or something, I think we leave the best stuff still on the table. History, the Old Testament as history, that's the salad. Uh, it's not the main course. The main course is all the stuff about Jesus that is prophetically embedded in the specifics of the history. All the words and actions that reveal who Jesus is and what he does. There's a, a, a sort of a specialized theological word for this way of reading the Old Testament, and it's called typology. And it's based on the idea that God orders the events of the past in the life of Israel and the words that get written down about those events to contain messages about Jesus. These uh, embedded messages are called types, and they have their fulfillment in the realities, which are then um, described in the Gospels. Sometimes the realities are called antitypes. Um, and this is what Jesus opened up to Cleopas and his buddy as they walked to Emmaus. And, you know, you, you might be wondering, as many have, well, which scriptures did he interpret? Like, what passages? I'd love to know. And I actually think here we're in luck, because it's most probable that um, the interpretations of the Old Testament that the New Testament presents were taught to the apostolic church by Jesus himself. He teaches the two on the road to Emmaus. It says later on in Luke's gospel that he teaches the 12 in the upper room about the scriptures. And in fact, he has 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, where it says in Acts chapter 1, he taught about the kingdom of God. And he would have done so from the scriptures. So when we see the New Testament interpreting the Old Testament, it's very probable that those are the, some of the very same passages um, which Jesus used to uh, unpack how the Old Testament is really about him. So let me give you an example. Um, here is a verse from the Old Testament prophet Hosea. This is Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Just picture this Old Testament verse. When Israel was a child, 
I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. This is fairly straightforward, right? It's kind of a poetic way of re-summarizing a portion of Israel's history. The talk, calling Israel a child is sort of a metaphorical way of saying in the early days of the Jewish nation, right? When, they were just a, when Israel was just a kid. Um, when Israel was still young, he w- it was led out of Egypt, right? Out of slavery um, by Moses. And in this sort of leading of Egypt, in this leading of Egypt out of, uh, leading of Israel out of Egypt, it's as if Israel is like a son to God. So that's what um, Hosea wrote. But then in Matthew's gospel, um, Matthew recounts the narrative of the Holy Family, um, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, um, fleeing to Egypt, and then after a period of time, returning from Egypt to go back and settle um, in, in Galilee. And this is Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. This, the flight back to, from, the, from returning from Egypt back to, um, to the Holy Land, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Matthew understood that this verse in Hosea was actually also a prophecy about Jesus and his life. You see that connection? Now, if we'd have just read Hosea, you might not have noticed that, but Matthew picks up on it because Matthew had his mind opened by the Holy Spirit, just like the two on the road to Emmaus, to recognize that Hosea wasn't just sort of arbitrarily recounting history of Israel, but he used the language of son specifically to prophesy about the son, Jesus himself. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 is about Jesus. But we see that that meaning doesn't lie on the surface. Who, upon reading Hosea, um, apart from the Gospel of Matthew, would have seen that as a prophecy? It was a somewhat veiled type. Israel is a type of Jesus. What happens to the life of Israel can be seen as prophetically um, speaking about what will happen to Jesus. Let me give another example. Um, From our morning prayer readings this week, in Numbers chapter 21, we see this story of God sending serpents to bite the Israelites as a punishment for their incessant grumbling. They cry out for mercy, and in verse 8, God says to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. This is a fascinating moment in Israel's history for sure. But there's more going on here, as Jesus himself says when he was speaking to Nicodemus, as recorded in John chapter 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The bronze serpent in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 21 is another type of Christ. It was a thing that was hoisted up on a wooden beam, just like Christ on the cross. It was a thing resembling the painful problem, right? Like a bronze serpent was an image of the serpents that were causing the problem. Just like him who became sin for our sake to put away sin. A thing that when you look at it, you live like Christ. When we behold him as the crucified Lord by faith, we are given the gift of living forever. So there was teaching about Jesus that was buried in Numbers 21, which is only clear to us when Jesus opens up that scripture for us. There are, in fact, um, dozens, if not hundreds of these in the New Testament, and these give us the clue for how we are to read the Old Testament in the right way as teaching about Jesus. Now, I think 
Um, part of why so many Christians avoid the Old Testament generally in their own uh, personal devotional reading um, is because we haven't, we haven't allowed this New Testament, this Emmaus way of reading um, to inform how we look at it to plumb the depths of the details like we see being done on Hosea chapter 11 or Numbers 21. And actually, almost every chapter of the 39 books that make up the scriptures as Jesus and the apostles knew them, the Old Testament, speak about Jesus in a veiled form. So I want to offer um, three kind of practical steps um, on how to, uh, how to read the Old Testament this way, to, get, to see it for its true meaty meaning. Um, the first is, I think, is sort of a preparatory step, and it's to study these past times when the New Testament quotes the Old. And often you'll see in your Bible there's a footnote or a study reference um, saying when the Old Testament quote is quoted. It's often indented as indented text. And go back and look up that Old Testament text and study what it was, how you read it, like in its Old Testament on the page in the Old Testament. And then look at it in the, look at it in the New and try and tease out how is this connection being made? What's the way in which we could see this is actually a prophecy of Jesus? So we kind of familiarize, familiarize ourselves with this lens by um, studying its usage in, in the New Testament. That's, that's kind of a preparatory step. So this, of course, requires being familiar with the scriptures. Um, we're supposed to receive the scriptures just um, at their face value, um, including the Old Testament first, to know the history, but then to look for the meat that's contained within it. So then this brings us to the kind of practical step. The most important way, the most important step for reading the Old Testament this way is prayer. Cleopas didn't see um, what was right there under his nose in the Old Testament until Christ himself offered the right interpretation. Luke goes on to record that when Jesus appears in the upper room, verse 45 of chapter 24, he says, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The apostles themselves needed Jesus' help, and so do we. So we need to pray before really reading any of the Bible, but especially when we're reading the Old Testament, to pray, Lord Jesus, open my mind to see how this is about you. It's not going to be something we can sort of find on our own by clever plans. In fact, trying to find it on our own would, would lead into trouble, and that comes to the third point I'll say in just a second. Jesus himself is the one, through his Holy Spirit, who will communicate to us the true meaning of the Old Testament. And because it's a gift from him, we need to pray for it. The final step, the third step, is, is simply be patient. Um, I think if you remember those magic eye things that kind of had a popularity in the late 90s, where there's like a, a pattern, it looks like kind of this fuzzy noise of, of color, and if you stare at it long enough at the right distance, all of a sudden this kind of 3D shape emerges. I think learning to read the Old Testament is a little bit analogous to that process. We need to be patient that if you try and import your own, like, oh yeah, I think I see it, um, you're likely just to fall into sort of error, actually. But to be patient and wait, reading the Old Testament, say, Lord, show me what the meaning of this is. Open my mind. If we're patient and don't rush in, we will we'll avail ourselves of hearing the quiet voice of the Spirit to speak. And, and this is actually the real joy, I think, of studying the Old Testament like this um, is because, because the, the real meaning of, about Christ doesn't lie on the surface when, in fact, it is presented to our minds and to our hearts. We know then that it's actually the living Christ speaking to us through the text. 
right? It's not the same as just reading a book and like amassing information. It's Christ stepping through the page to us. And there's a deep joy in the devotional experience of that, of having Christ to bring the interpretation in our act of reading through his Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal, you could also refer to this typological reading as the unearthing the spiritual meaning of the text. But when I say spiritual, it doesn't mean fanciful, imaginative, or willy-nilly. The Holy Spirit always points to Christ. And so we know that a hidden meaning is truly of God when it points to Christ. If it points to some other thing, and this is what one of the worst ways to read the Old Testament, and I hate to say this in case this particular book was of great encouragement to you, but something like the prayer of Jabez, which takes an Old Testament story and says, here's something how you can use this to get more blessings. Right? That's not a good way of reading the Old Testament. It's certainly not the spiritual meaning. The spiritual meaning points us to Christ. Christ born, Christ fled to Egypt, Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ ascended, Christ in his church. Um, that is the spiritual meaning. And if it goes outside the bounds of that, it's not of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's a more of a man-made interpretation. When Christ does indeed show up through the pages of the Old Testament, um, the devotional joy is described best in the language of the Emmaus disciples. Verse 32, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us, while he opened to us the scriptures? I think many, many Christians, the vast majority testify that this is an experience that can be had for us when we read the scriptures, the Old Testament and the New, but when we read the scriptures prayerfully to experience Christ almost incarnate on the page, it, it, it sets the heart on fire. Uh, there's a, a rich sweetness in it. And if you've not had that experience, I encourage you to persist in the reading of Scripture this way, um, longing for this experience with God's sacred word. Um, God gave us the Scriptures that we would know him and that our love for him also would be deepened, as it so often is when we see Christ figured forth in the Old Testament typologies. When we see, actually, I think the Old Testament can be well described as an echo chamber for the new. That the new very briefly describes Christ as a sacrifice, right? The Passover lamb. Christ is the king. It's his kingdom. But to understand the full resonance of that meaning, we need the echo chamber of the Old Testament. Well, what is a sacrifice? Well, we learn that from the sacrificial systems, right? In the sacrificial system. What is a king? What is a nation? What is an exodus? What is a temple? Right? When it says, um, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, we can't understand what that means unless we understand what the temple was, which was an image. It's not that the temple in the Old Testament is the real thing, and now we're using it as a metaphor. No, the original temple, which um, Solomon built and then was rebuilt by Nehemiah, that was the metaphor for us getting to have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. That's the, what the, we mean here by typology, is that the real thing is the life in Christ that we have now. But we learn about that through the pages of the Old Testament. One of the sort of side uh, sidebar joys of all this is there's a deep um, satisfaction in seeing how minutely and how carefully God ordained the events of sacred history and the writing them down. This is what we mean by the inspiration of Scripture, right? That every word that's used was inspired by him, the Holy Spirit. Um, and so that in both the event and the recording of it, everything was precisely pr pr um, given by God in its definiteness um, so that these truths could be shown forth and available to us. 
it speaks of God's great sovereignty over his people then and now, right? This, when we see how carefully God guided all these things, it restores, uh, strengthens our faith that God is just as carefully guiding his people now in the present, in history, uh, in our own time. Furthermore, um, just as God was inscribing his truth, the truth that points to Christ um, in the pages of the Old Testament, he is still now inscribing the truth about Christ on our lives. And in the same way that sometimes Christ is hidden in the Old Testament, um, Christ's work in our lives is not always on the surface. It's often below the surface and kind of bubbles out when we see growth in the Christian virtue, when we see the Christian love manifest. That was the fruit of his operating behind the scenes in, in hidden ways in our souls. He is inscribing Christ on our lives. That's why Paul uses this phrase, living letters. Each Christian is a living letter, a living miniature book, as it were, uh, of the Testament of God um, pointing to Christ, just as the Old Testament. You know, the Gospels and the New Testament pointed to Christ without the veil. But Christ was veiled in the Old Testament, figured forth, and he's still veiled in our lives, veiled by our own human uh, foibles, by our sins, um, by the fact that we're still on the way. We're not perfect yet. We don't show forth his glory perfectly. Um, but like the Old Testament, we still present Christ. And the hope is that the church would be encouraged by reading Christ in our lives and the world would actually see Christ in our lives as well. All glory to God who points to Christ, his son, in all things. Amen. I want to just add one little footnote to this. Um, if you're interested more in this, through the Facebook Live Bible studies this week. Um, I'm not going to study the Gospels, but the Old Testament or the Psalm will be our, our topic of study. And I'm going to try and use, sort of give real-life examples of how we can discern Christ present on the pages of the Old Testament this week. Um, and I'm also going to write a bit more about this, um, and I'm going to send that out to the congregation this week as well. Because um, I think it's really important. I think the riches of the Old Testament are missed by so many um, because we haven't been equipped with the tools um, the key tool uh, that Jesus himself revealed on the road to Emmaus. With that, I encourage you now uh, to continue to plead to God uh, with the great litany for our nation and for the church, for all that besets us, including, uh, of course, chiefly um, coronavirus. Um, plead with the great litany and then make an act of spiritual communion um, today. And I look forward to the weeks ahead. You know, we're, we're waiting to watch and see what our governor, Kay Ivey, determines. Uh, about when and how um, gathering restrictions will be uh, eased, not totally lifted, but eased, and as they do, what kind of church will be possible. But I'm so excited that there's hope of having participating in the sacrament of Holy Communion, which, of course, in the Emmaus story, is the moment when the Lord is made known, right? In the breaking of bread is when they didn't just have their hearts burn within him, but when they recognized Jesus right in their midst was in communion. So I can't wait to have communion again, God willing, um, some point in May, but we're waiting, of course, to see all the pieces uh, shake out, but there's hope. So, okay, God bless you.